Good morning. And thank you, Christian, for that reading. And you might keep your Bibles open to that text. Hopefully we'll come to that in a little bit and we'll talk about what Moses said to the people there. <sighs> Anybody recognize that airplane? Oh, I see a few hands going up. It's all guys. Guys like stuff like this. That's a P-38 Lightning. It's a World War II era fighter. And you might be wondering, why in the world are you starting a sermon with a picture of a World War II fighter? Well, this particular airplane is known as Glacier Girl. Do any of you know the story of Glacier Girl? Or have you even heard of Glacier Girl? No, not a single hand. Well, maybe I missed a hand or two. But anyway, let me tell you a little bit about this airplane. Back in 1942, World War II had just gotten started. And we were sending eight P-38s, airplanes just like this one, and two B-17 bombers over to England to be used in the war effort against Germany. Well, on the way, they didn't have uh, Emily Sutton or Damon Lane like we have today. They encountered some weather they were not expecting, and through the, the weather, trying to navigate through that confusion and losing fuel, they decided they needed to land in a hurry, and so they found a glacier on Greenland, and they landed all 10 of those airplanes landed on a glacier, and they had to be abandoned. And they were stuck there for about nine days, but they had some radio contact, and so they knew they were going to be rescued, and they had some supplies dropped. And they lived inside one of those bombers for those nine days until the crew got to them, and they took them out with dog sleds, and they went about 10 miles to the sea, and a Coast Guard cutter picked them up. Anyway, that, that's the story of the guys who flew these airplanes over, and they were just left there. Well, 50 years later, a guy has heard about these airplanes and he says, I want to go, I want to go back and I'm going to dig down through the, whatever little bit of snow and ice has collected in those 50 years. And we're going to reclaim all those airplanes that we can. And so they went back 50 years later to these airplanes that had crash-landed in 1942, and they started the recovery operation in 1992, 50 years later, and they found they had to dig through 250 feet plus of snow. Well, really not snow. It was all ice, 250 feet of ice. That's what had accumulated in the 50 years since these plans had been stranded on that glacier, 250 feet. Now, you or me, regular people, regular folks, we probably would have got there and said, I ain't doing that. But that was not their thought process. They thought, we're, we're going to make it down. They had some, some rich Texas oil men who knew how to get into the ground. And so I guess ice was no big difference to them. And so they got to work, and they went down 250 feet to get to this P-38. That doesn't look really good right there, does it? It doesn't look like it just rolled out the showroom hanger. That's a messed up P-38, uh, if you want my opinion about it. And I know that's what they thought, too, when they found it. But it was there. There's another picture of the wreckage they found. Because after 50 years under all that ice, it was a mess. However, they got down there. They took it apart in sections, lifted it out. They restored it. And that's the result. This airplane flew again. They called her Glacier Girl because she was drawn out of that glacier. The wreckage was, and she was restored to flying status. 
That's a pretty amazing feat, don't you think? Just to find them, just to locate it. They had the, the technology to, to see through that ice and find these airplanes. And then to get down 250 feet of ice and then to extract the pieces from 250 feet down and get them out. and re- That's an amazing feat. And God has enabled men to work wonders with physical challenges. Physical things. You read the first chapter of Genesis and God says, have dominion to Adam and Eve. That means dominate the creation that I have given you. Make use of it. Dominate it in a good way, in a productive way, in a constructive way. And that's what these guys did. They said, man, we got a problem here, but we got some, something down there that we think is valuable. We want to get it out. And they did it. But that's a physical challenge. Who do we turn to when we face deeply personal spiritual challenges? And who doesn't have those? We all face difficulty in life. And it challenges our faith. Who do you go to when you need help? Men can restore a broken airplane... But who restores broken men? That's the question. Today we're talking about running to God. Why do we run to God? And that is the end of the PowerPoint. If you guys want to go ahead and turn it off, we'll just focus on some passages of Scripture for the rest of this lesson. Would that be all right? Look at the Bible for the rest of the lesson. All right. But that story, to me, is a parallel of what God does. He sees value in you and me all the time. And it doesn't matter how wrecked we are, how messed up we are. It doesn't matter how hard we might be to reach. God sees value in you and me. And he wants to restore us to fellowship with him. That's what the Bible class was all about this morning. Talking about Ezra and Nehemiah. God restoring his people, not simply to the the place and the city, but restoring them spiritually keeping a remnant. And we here today, you and I, we are part of the remnant that God has restored. And we're doing our best to reach out to other people so that they can become part of this remnant. Because it's not very many, not very many who will be saved. It would have been really neat if they could have gone back to that glacier and, and gotten all eight of those P-38s out and, all, and, and both of those bombers, but they, they couldn't do that. But there was one, there was one, and so we know the story. In Mark chapter 2, you know, Jesus was always being confronted by those who thought they knew more than he did. And so it says in Mark chapter 2 at verse 15, it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house. Not Jesus' house, but this is, I believe, the house of Matthew. That's who was talking about in verse 14. And many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. So did you catch what that just said, what Mark just said? Tax collectors and sinners, there were a lot of them, and what were they doing? They were following Jesus. And so Jesus is in the house eating with them. The audacity of the man. When the scribes and the Pharisees saw what he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Now that's a question, isn't it? 
But do you think that was the kind of question that they were asking so they could learn and be more enlightened as to what was happening? I don't think so. I think it was a critical question. Hearing this, verse 17, Jesus said to them, It's not those who are healthy who need a physician. All you medical folks in the audience, I, I love to be in such condition that I can say to you, I don't need you. Because <laughs> that means I'm healthy. That's the whole point. But how many of us really are? How many of us don't need a physician? And Jesus is saying those who are whole, those who are healthy, they don't need a physician. But those who are sick do need a physician, he would say. I did not come to call the righteous, but who? You could just fill in there instead of sinners, you and me, because that's what we are. And he has come to call us. He is the great physician. He's the one who can make a difference in our lives. He's the one to whom we should run when things are messed up. Things ever been messed up in your life? Things ever been messed up with you? Have you ever been confused? Have you ever been depressed? Have you ever been discouraged? Have you ever been caught up in your own sin? Have you ever been, can you say this from the pulpit, stupid? I just said it. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Even if we're talking about a circumstance that's excellent. Maybe one of the most wonderful things that's ever happened to you has happened to you. Do you know who you should go to? You run to Jesus. You run to God. You give your thanks. You ask your blessings. You pour your heart out like Hannah did. I I really like that God included what Hannah did in in 1 Samuel. When she prayed to God, it says she, she poured out her heart to the Lord. That's what she said she was doing. And that's what you and I need to do. Go to God and pour your heart out to him. No matter what your state in life is, if everything's going great, if everything's the worst it's ever been, go to God. Run to God. He's the great physician. Ask some of these ladies in here. How hard is it to get your husband to see a doctor? Yeah, I know. I know. No offense, but I don't like to go to doctors. Do you know why? They're going to tell me what to do. I don't like people telling me what to do. But I've never gone to one and regretted it. I've been through some stuff. I've been through some sickness, some difficulty in life. You have too. And people who know what to do about that are the ones we need to go to. And nobody knows more about what's up with our lives than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's paying attention to us every day. He's watching over us. He is the good shepherd as well as he is the great physician. You ever wonder why it says he's the good physician? I mean the good shepherd, but he's the great physician? I don't know. I think uh, might be something to that. We call him the great physician. It's not actually something you see in scripture. But I think it's nonetheless true. Go to Jesus all the time. You remember Adam and Eve, what happened in the garden when they, when they sinned? What happened? What was the first thing Adam and Eve did when they realized they had blown it? They hid themselves. They, they didn't stand there and say, Eve, yeah, as your husband, I, I need, let's, let's go talk to the father. 
Or Eve didn't say, husband, don't you think we ought to go see God about this? That, there wasn't any discussion like that that's recorded in the scripture. What it says they did is they hid themselves among the trees. What else did they do when they hid themselves among the trees? Do you remember? They made clothes. What did they make clothes out of? Leaves. Give me a break. You talk about a fail, but, but this shows us something. And I got to think God put it in there for a reason. When you mess up, you can't fix it on your own. You need help. You try to cover up what needs to be covered up in your life. You can't cover it up. It's going to be a fail all the way. What do you do? You go to God. You go to God. Now, in this particular case, they didn't go to God. What happened? God came to them. He came calling for them. And when he found them, remember what he Why are you hiding yourself? Did he know why they were hiding? Yes, he knew why they were hiding themselves. And he knows what you and I are doing every day in life as well. And he doesn't hate us for it. He's not disgusted with us. It's like he's looking down and going, oh, there they go again. I, I, hope, I, hope, I hope they'll call on me because I really want to help them, but I'm not going to do anything unless they call on me. Well, I'm going to watch over them and take care of them. That, I think that's the way God works all the time. You just see that in Scripture. How else would the Israelites have been 70 years in captivity and then sent by Cyrus, sent by Cyrus and funded by Cyrus to come back? If that wasn't for God's providence. And that's exactly what God had said previous through the prophets was going to happen. God's watching over his people all the time. He's watching over you all the time. He's watching over me all the time. And I know. Do you ever think God slaps his forehead? Yeah, I wonder. How many many guardian angels have you worn out? Got to wonder about that. But who do we go to? There's only one person to go to, and it's God. It's always going to be God. No matter how well things are going, no matter how awful things are going, it's always going to be God. And Adam and Eve, I think, teach us a great lesson about the importance of going to God. You own up to it. You face him. And things always get better. Things always get better. There's a passage in Psalm 34, and I know, I think a couple weeks ago I preached out of Psalm 34, but I didn't cover all of it, but... Let's get down to the, the 18th verse of Psalm 34 and read this. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You ever had your heart broke? Now, when you're young, you think in terms of heartbreak being some little girl or some little boy doesn't return the affection that you have for them. And when you get older, you find out, man, there's a lot of ways to have your heart broken. It comes with life. But where is God in relation to the brokenhearted, according to this passage? He's not far away. He's near. He's near. If you ever want to run to God and you're brokenhearted, you don't have far to go because he's right there. Keep reading. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of most of them. Is that what it says? All of them. The Lord delivers them out of all of them. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Whoa, do you recognize that text right there? 
Is that just a figurative statement about how God takes care of those who are brokenhearted, or is there something more to it than that? You know what that text is from? When Jesus was crucified, he was crucified with the two thieves, and it was coming on towards the the Sabbath day, and they couldn't let him stay on the cross on the Sabbath day. They had to get him down. So the order was given, you go and you break the legs of those prisoners that are hanging on those crosses to hasten their death so they can die and we'll take them off those crosses. And they came to the first thief, broke his legs, he died. Came to the second thief, broke his legs, he died. Came to Jesus, remember what happened? He was already dead. And they marveled that he was so soon dead. Well, the reason he was dead was because he gave his own life back to the Father when his work was finished. Cried out with a loud voice. Not a weak little wimpy voice, but a loud voice. He cried out, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Last thing he said on this earth while he was alive. Until he was alive again. Not a bone. Not a bone is broken. There's something in that that's significant to me that God talks about the brokenhearted and how near he is to the brokenhearted. And then he, then he gives us this prophecy about his son. Not a bone of him is going to be broken. His son, in the giving of his life for my sin, not a bone of him is going to be broken. And in the same text, he's telling me, I'm going to be very close to you, Marty, when you're brokenhearted. And this is how I'm going to show you how close I am. My son's going to die for your sin. The things that break your heart about yourself... My son's going to pay for that. And when you're brokenhearted over your own sin, I'm going to be close to you. And I'm going to throw in this passage about my son and about what happened to him. And it's, it's like he's doing this so you and I can know how very, very much he wants to be close to us. And he wants us to come to him, to run to him. What does James say about that? Draw near to God and what's going to happen? He's going to draw near to you. That's the way God works. He wants to draw near. I don't know why. You ever wonder why God cares about you and me? David wondered that same thing. <laughs> what is man that you're mindful of him? And, and then we have, we have the butt dust passage. You remember that one, don't you? He, he knows we are but dust. We're just dirt, animated dirt. That's what you are, walking around. You know, if you think of yourself as animated dirt, you need to call on God. Run to God. Call on God all the time. There's another passage I want us to think about. It's from Isaiah chapter 55. You may remember Isaiah 55 because there's a famous verse in there where he says in verse 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's the one we normally read when we go to Isaiah 55. But go a couple of verses before that to verse 6. Isaiah says this, Isaiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him... While he is near. And he's not talking to the righteous, is he? Look at the next verse. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thought and let him return to the Lord. This is who God is talking to through Isaiah. He's talking to you and me when we are unrighteous. You and me when we're wicked. Forsake that way. Call on the Lord while he's near. And what does he say? My thoughts aren't your thoughts. 
My ways aren't your ways. Mine are higher. Mine are better. You ever wonder why you are the way you are? I have. And I don't always have an answer. But I know this. If I go to the great physician, he's going to lead me to something better. And he always has. He always has. I've been so blessed in my life. Grow up in the Lord's church. Know the Lord's ways. Be familiar with the Bible, the teachings of God. And in all those years, I've never once regretted running back to God with anything. It's always been a blessing. It's always been to my health, to my welfare, to my goodness. When I run to God, and I want you to learn to run to God if you haven't yet learned to do that. A lot of you have, but I don't know that all of you have. And I want you to learn that. God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. I want you to go back now to that text I had you saved in Deuteronomy. This is when Israel had, they just come out of the, the, the bondage of Egypt. And God is speaking to them through Moses. And he's talking about the distinctive relationship that they have with God. And there's a lot that could be said, but, but I just want us to focus on these couple of verses here. Look at verse 5. This is what Christopher, or Christian, I keep calling him Christopher. Christian, what Christian read for us a while ago. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded you that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples while... Uh, Who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God? How does he say it? What great nation is there that has a God so near, so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on him? What other nation has that? When you study... The religions of the world, as regards uh, regarding idolatry, you'll find that people were afraid of their gods, and they were always trying to appease their gods. They weren't afraid of their gods like we fear the true and living God. We fear him knowing his justice, and that we are unjust, but we know we'll find grace and mercy with him. But they feared their gods because they knew their gods were capricious. They didn't really care about their welfare. And so they were continually offering sacrifice to to try to appease them and get blessings from them. It wasn't a good relationship. And so this text talks about the God who is so near. Not only is he so near, but his teachings are such that other nations are going to look at us when we behave the way he teaches us to behave. They're going to say, what a great and wise people they are. And what a wonderful God they have that's so close. And when you think about idolatry, when you think about the the gods of Rome and of Greece, the famous gods, can can you recall any of their teachings for their people? Any of the idolatrous religions, what were the moral teachings of those idolatrous religions? I can't personally think of anything. But God, the true and living God, he's got all kinds of teachings. Why? Because he is the great physician. And physicians tell you how to live so that you can be well and stay well. 
That's who he is. That's what he is. And he wants to bring us to himself. One last text I want us to look at is from 1 John chapter 1. Still talking about running to God. There's so many passages we could go to and look at with this theme in mind because this is such a pervasive idea throughout God's word. But John comes back to it in 1 John chapter 1. You remember John and Peter at the tomb, the empty tomb? They got word that Jesus had raised from the dead, and so they both ran back to the tomb. John was a little faster than Peter, apparently, and he got there first. But John did not do what? He did not go inside. It was open. (laughs) It was completely open. John didn't go inside. He he got there and he stopped there. Of course, Peter, you know Peter, right inside. No question. This John that stood outside that open tomb. This John that wasn't there the morning of the resurrection until he heard that he had been raised. This John writes this in 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation. That's a fancy word, that propitiation. That just means he's the satisfactory payment for our sin. And not ours only, but also for those of the whole world. You know what God is telling us through his apostle John here? He's saying, run to me. Don't deny your sinfulness. If you deny it, the truth is not in you. You're lying, but... Open up about your sinfulness. Open up about yourself. Open about your life. Come to me and confess to me. And whatever there is in your life that's amiss, I will forgive you for it. We've got an advocate. You know what an advocate is? That's a lawyer. We don't normally say bright and shiny things about lawyers. But if Jesus is your lawyer, how bright and shiny can you say things about him? He is our law. You know what a lawyer does? A lawyer represents you. Do you know who lawyers sometimes represent? Guilty people. I know, it's unheard of, isn't it? You know why they represent guilty people? Because they're in a mess and they need somebody to stand before the judge and represent them. Who's the judge in this case? Well, of course it's God, but who's God? He's the father of your lawyer. And the father of your lawyer has arranged for you to have his son as your advocate. And he has arranged for his son to have already paid your debt. Why, why, why would we not run to Jesus? Why would we not confess our sin? If the judge of the universe has arranged to forgive you before you've even done it, and he's provided his son to be the lawyer... It's just like Deuteronomy 4. What nation is there whose God is so close? That's our God. That's your God. That's your Jesus. 
He's put his spirit in you. He loves you. He lives in you. He wants to to hold you. If you'll only be held by him, run to him. And so in 2024, can you believe it's 2024? Wasn't it just Y2K a couple of weeks ago? 2024, run to God. Run to God. If things are going great, run to him. Tell him about it. Praise him for it. Thank him for it. If things are going as bad as they've ever gone, run to him. Talk to him. Pour out your heart. If you don't have the words, it doesn't matter. He'll still sit with you and listen. Do you love God? I believe you do. I just want you to understand that he loves you and wants you to run to him. We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement. The song that's been selected is about Jesus, the great physician. If you need the great physician this morning, run to him. Don't wait. And you don't have to come down the aisle to run to him. You can be running to him in your mind right now. But if we can help you run to the Lord, that's what we're here for this morning. So let's stand and sing this song of encouragement and invitation for anybody who wants to run to the Lord. Thank you.